Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Brendan Escalot alongside Cody Jansen today, 1235 in Edmonton on Oilers Now, where some guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse, the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Chris and Chef Altoff that Oilers Now sent you. So we welcome aboard our NHL insider, John Shannon, for legacy heating and cooling, whether it's heating or cooling you need. Get it with no payments and no interest for a year. That's how you build a legacy. Legacy heating and cooling. Hello, John. How's it going today? Happy Monday, Brendan. Right back at you. And uh, no hockey Oilers-wise to talk about, at least tonight, but let's look back on that six-goal outburst against Anaheim on Saturday night. I wonder, did you get the sense that it could have had the makings, at least, of a trap game? Or teams perhaps a little bit more immune to that at this time of year with, uh, with the main goal just five games away now? Well, I think you got your answer about that last night in Calgary. Um, you know, there, there can be a trap game anytime. Uh, and, and really the key for me, um, and I'm sure for you too, is making sure you get off to a good start. And that's exactly what the Oilers did, got off to a good start and uh, in the end can, can control the, the opposition. You know, there's, there's a, a huge difference between what they're trying to do in Anaheim and what Ken Holland and Jay Woodcroft are doing in Edmonton, and you saw evidence of that Saturday night. Mm-hmm, certainly, and I think a lot could be uh, credited to Jack Campbell for keeping things within reach, at least for the first portion of that game uh, against Anaheim on, on Saturday night. And uh, from your perspective, John, I know we've talked in past about how uh, this season obviously has, needless to say, not gone the way that Campbell would want to go. But if there's, say, one more game that he gets in, in addition to that one on Saturday night, uh, before the playoffs, you got to figure mission accomplished here for Jay Woodcroft and the staff and getting his maybe his headspace back to where it wanted to be. I thought they picked a good spot to insert Jack and he rose to the occasion. I, I mean, I thought he was great through the whole night. You're right. Um, and, I, you know, I think as and Reed and I have talked about this on the pregame show a few times is that my frustration is is that late in a game the last 10 minutes of the game there also there always seems to be a little bit of a letdown and the opposition scores a goal or two where you know you're you you could have a 6-2 victory end up winning 6-4 um and just the fact that they seem to clamp down in that third period and and Jack himself clamped down so well uh, to get the shutout, to me, I, I think that was probably the best message you could give to any goaltender that you know might have a, a lapse of, of confidence. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens, how many games Jack does play down the stretch. Um, but, I, you know, I think you have to be realistic. The Oilers still have a chance to be first overall in this division, um, which gives you a much better pairing in the first round of the playoffs. So that t- tells me that Stuart Skinner has to get the majority of those starts in order to make sure that that happens. Now, that said, if there becomes a point where it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other, and they're going to be second or third, uh, perhaps Jack does get another start. And 
you know, I, momentum and confidence are amazing things in the game of hockey, and hopefully he's been able to get a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Chatting with our NHL insider, John Shannon, right now for Legacy Heating and Cooling. Up front, it hasn't been an issue anywhere all year. All the players seem to be finding the back of the net, and, and none more so than McDavid and Dreisaitl, who again were featured not only <laughs> on that 6 nothing win, of course, John, but uh, but also the first and second stars of, of uh, March, respectively. I mean, it's almost just when you think that they've accomplished everything that they they could or whatever, they kind of unearth something else. And you would have had eyes on this 95-96 Penguins team. And this seems to be where all the comparisons are drawn. Um, but obviously, the Penguins didn't win the Stanley Cup that year. So, you know, I, like, are we at risk of investing too much stock into some of these individual accomplishments? I know the players won't be, but as fans, what do you think about that? Well, 95-96 Penguins were a little different than this year's Oilers in so many ways. Remember, uh, you know, they won the Cup in in 1991 and 92. Um, The Yager draft and and adding Yarmir Yager changed the personality of that hockey club uh, away from the guys like Ron Francis and and Kevin Stevens uh, and, and put the onus back on, you know, Mario Lemieux, who was in middle to late in his career uh, and a young gun named Yager. So I, I, I'm not sure that the comparisons to the two guys, I, I, you know, points wise are, are is certainly fair. The way they played the game, I'm not convinced that they're comparable. They, you know, they, they played a much different style of game uh, back then. Um, and, and perhaps in trying to defend what the Oilers are doing now, I, I think it might be a little unfair to give them that type of pressure because this team still needs to win its first Stanley Cup, not try for its third. And I think that that's something to keep in mind. The, the one thing I think we, we were, we're all a little impressed with is now there seems to be a, uh, since the deadline, you know, Connor has his line and Leon has his. Um, and then you can put them back together either out of a, out of a TV timeout or at a crucial time in a game when you're down a goal. Um, but there's a lot more independence between the two center now, centers now. And I'm not sure that was the case with Yager and Lemieux. Uh, you know, Yarmer Yager fed off what Le- Mario Lemieux fed him all the time, which was impressive. Uh, and, and his play away from the puck was very impes- impressive. But what we see now, particularly when they're both running their own lines, is I think a totally different personality for the Oilers versus the Penguins of the mid-1990s. By the way, it was Doug McLean's team uh, in, uh, in, in, in Florida that took uh, Pittsburgh to seven games and defeated them in the Eastern Conference Final that year. Uh, and they did it with uh, just uh, simple hard work and almost let Lemieux and Yager do their own thing and then stopped everybody else. Was this the year that everybody was throwing rats on the mm-hmm. ice? Or do I have something conflicted? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's the, that's the same year. Um, you know, and, they, and the Panthers went to the Stanley Cup final that year only to lose in four games to Colorado uh, in a triple overtime goal by Uwe Krupp. Uh, and remember, uh, uh, Patrick Waugh, Florida had tied the game. Patrick Wye had to hide in his net as they threw thousands of rats on the ice at at Miami Arena.
<laughs> what a different time to think about. That was Colorado's first year in Colorado as well, if you, if you hearken back to that. That's right. Um, Interesting stuff. Now we're looking at uh, uh, potentially, and I say potentially, but I don't have really much belief that Quebec City would ever uh, hold another um, NHL team. And, and some of the reasons that I've, I've stumbled upon as to why, some of the theories to do with splitting television viewership between the, the Montreal market and and, uh, and the Quebec market, just as an example, if Arizona flops out, because we know we have this, uh, this um, referendum, I suppose, coming up in Tempe. I mean, enough reason to believe that if Quebec City was going to be made to work, it kind of would have been already or some more pieces would have been in place because it seems like a great idea in theory. And they have the arena there, the Videotron Center, and yet it just isn't coming to fruition. But I just I found it interesting. I think I heard this morning they were talking about something as minute as like the television rights deal would be very impactful as to why Quebec would not get another crack at a team. Uh, I just, it, it, so much of what goes on uh, with NHL teams um, on the business side has to do with corporate sponsorship, cor- uh, corporate partners. Um, you know, the, Edmonton is one of those cities that's a little different, where where the you know the season ticket pace is seventy percent driven by individuals by my hardcore Edmonton Oilers fans that's not the case in Montreal that's not the case in Toronto and and certainly not the case in many of the markets across the NHL Uh, the the corporate market in Quebec City is not very big it is a government town uh, so the provincial government is probably the biggest employer in town so where would the other corporate dollars come from and that's that's always a huge challenge. Now you you need to get millions and millions and millions of dollars out of the corporate partnerships in the uh, in a city in a in a region in order to justify having an, an NHL um, team. You know, for instance, if for some and and this is this is completely fictitious, but for some reason, if the Oilers ever left, Edmonton would have a difficult time getting another team. There, you know, there, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the corporate structure to get another team. The fact that the Oilers have, you know, finally succeeded, the, the you know, Ice District being as successful as it is, the building itself being so attractive to many people within the world of hockey, it's a great story, uh, but it's one that is uh, is built on the on the backs of the fans and the season ticket base in Edmonton, not the corporate structure. I always love your your take on the business side of things, John. Appreciate that. Um, speaking of the business side, we'll, we'll venture away from the NHL here, but do you know or what do you know that you can tell us about the British Columbia Hockey League, which we know has, has already sort of emancipated from the Canadian Junior Hockey League, the CJHL, where you'll <laughs> find the AJ and the Saskatoon or Saskatchewan League, etc. Now they are going so far, John, as to say they're trying to emancipate from Hockey Canada. Um, do you have any insight as to why or what the precedent may be should that come to fruition yeah that's a good question i don't i don't know what the impetus is now other than you know the the restructuring of hockey canada after what went on in the last 18 months has given a like i think a lot of independent voices a chance to re-examine exactly what hockey canada does 
for grassroots hockey and for junior tier two hockey. There have been other groups that have tried to rebel against Hockey Canada. There was one here in Ontario that tried to do it as well. Um, but in the end, if you're dealing internationally uh, with other federations, with, with the USA Hockey or with the IIHF, you, you have to create a relationship of some sort with Hockey Canada because that's the official licensed partner uh, on the international uh, stage. I, I suspect what's happened is that there, have, there has been a lot of looks at how much money they pay for insurance through Hockey Canada, uh, what Hockey Canada delivers from them corporately, again, money-wise, probably not as much as they think they could, and, and can they do a better job? Let's face it, the BC Junior League has, has you know, its, it's claim to fame now is it's one of the great pipelines to U.S. college hockey. Uh, and is there a way to, from an entrepreneurial side, is there a way for these owners of teams to take advantage of that and put themselves on their on their own playing field and not having to worry about uh, uh, the, the, the bureaucracy, if there is any, that Hockey Canada puts them through? It's very interesting to me because I wonder how players are going to feel about taking sort of a... Um I don't, I don't know what you would title that route, maybe a backdoor route, maybe something less widely recognized. But at the same time, if you're coming from the Penticton V's program, I don't imagine a single program in the States is going to look the other way. So it's, it's an interesting no, I, dynamic. Well, but, you know, but and if you're a player, I, I don't think if, if you're a player being recruited by all those teams in British Columbia, um, I don't think you sit there and worry about, well, is this Hockey Canada sanctioned or not? And what the guys in Penticton or, or Vernon uh, or uh, Nanaimo or, or uh, Coquitlam have told you is that we're going to give you the best opportunity to play junior hockey at a high level, and then we're going to have, get you placed into a U.S. or help you get placed into a U.S. college program, um, which is which is in the end the goal. I mean. And, and we, quite frankly, we are seeing that a little bit in the uh, the Alberta Junior League too, as well. Brendan, uh, you, you take a look at a guy like Kale McCarr, uh, who played in Brooks, and isn't that the best advertisement for going the NCAA route by saying, "Look what I did! I went and played in the in the AJ for mm-hmm. a year, and and then I ended up going to UMass Lowell and having a pretty good life and a good career." Do you think that, I think about this not only internationally from the perspective of having American players come up and play and maybe it even be more affordable for the teams to get those players there if you're not going through the bureaucratic loops of Hockey Canada, but what about European players coming here, John, and playing in the Junior A ranks? I don't think that's something we see a whole heck of a lot of these days. No, and and quite frankly, it's the, you know, the CHL, the Canadian Hockey League, that have put... Um, restrictions on the amount of imports that can play uh, particularly in the last few years on goaltenders where we have seen you know uh, European hockey nations thrive with goaltenders and and the, the storylines of who's the who's the next great Canadian goalie going to be uh, has kind of fallen on deaf ears uh, that's a, that's an interesting discussion point. Uh, about what the Euros will do in this in this scenario, I'm I, you know when the story came out, I think that there's a lot of people that perked up 
but we're going to have to wait and see, and we'll see what Hockey Canada has to say about it. Obviously, they're going still going through a transition. They have the interim board in place, probably not, you know, fully understanding that what its role is in in the in the, uh, in the second tier of junior hockey in our country. So uh, these next few months are going to be very very interesting. Always appreciate the insight, John. Great chat today, and we'll connect on uh, Thursday afternoon. Okay. See, you always ask the tougher questions too, you know, you know, and, and there and there's never anything about Alabama. So. No, you're right. I mean, I try to exclusively <laughs> not discuss that, but I like to let you talk when you're on. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh I, I think we should say that. <laughs> John Shannon. Yeah, we'll probably end up clipping that. Uh, 12.51 in Edmonton. So, Cody, I know you kind of work a little bit with the junior hockey stuff, and particularly with the European side of things. Um, bringing players over here is not something foreign to you, correct? No, I do have background in that, obviously. So the biggest difference and why the BCHL does want European players next year and why it would make sense to avoid Hockey Canada is that there is a transfer fee for when foreign players do come to Canada and Hockey Canada can charge as much. Again, it could have changed over the past year or two. It's been as much as $2,500 a player at times. So if they want to bring over 5, 10 imports, whatever, I've heard the import rule that they're requesting is going to be high say that is 10 imports now you're looking at 25 grand these teams are giving hockey canada just to use foreign players and increase the skill in their league where if they just leave hockey canada each team can save that and if you're a businessman and an owner of a junior hockey team why would you want to lose money do you have a problem with the fact that that's taking a roster spot away from a north american or canadian I don't personally because they want to be competitive with the USHL. Mm -hmm. So it's a business. Do I love the fact that it hurts Canadian hockey development in a sense? Sure. But then Hockey Canada better pull up their socks and put in a sanction at Junior League in BC then. Go and compete with them. Again, I think that is tough and there's a bigger picture here. But I also think about it from the hardworking people behind the scenes that are investing money, and a lot of them are losing money in running junior hockey programs. I want to see them be long-term successful. I don't want to see any more teams fold. It's been very interesting having the BCHL go from the premier junior A league in Canada, if not the world, to now being a, sort of a beast all on its own. And maybe that's a luxury you have when you've got a strong like, league like that. But uh, but to see it trying to completely defect like this is, is quite uh, eye-opening for me. Defect is a is a big word, but it's, it's true though. It is right, and and then you got to think about who are they going to affiliate then, right? Because if you play in an outlaw league after September thirtieth or whatever, then like come October, you can't take a junior B player. You can't go back to junior B if you're cut or you know U eighteen. So then they would have to form a feeder league, which I've been told is in the works as well. And I think it's an interesting conversation. So I was glad to get John Shannon's insight. Certainly, and happy to take yours at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Send us a call, or sorry, send us a text. Float us a call after the one o'clock news. We'll get uh, we got plenty of time for you then, and we'll chat uh, all about anything you'd like. But this has turned into an interesting conversation here i'd like to hear from somebody that either has uh, a child in a junior a program or is thinking about what the option's going to be you know because this is clearly a big decision uh if you're like you say is this the outlaw league or, or what have you so we'll step aside here and we'll come back with uh with much more on oilers now 
You can start your new vehicle journey at Brent Ridge Ford, the dealer that doesn't forget you after your purchase. If you value fair treatment and full transparency, call Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and the team at 780-352-6048. 12-time President's Diamond Club Award winners for customer satisfaction. Brent Ridge Ford is your Ford truck authority on the Auto Mile in Wetaskiwin. 780-496-0063. A couple of text messages here. We've gone all over the map, as we like to do in the, in the first hour. Uh, somebody's called me Rob. I don't know where they got that idea. Breckenridge is on it, too. you got another hour to wait. But he asked, uh, how about Vernon Fiddler for an assistant coach next year for the Oilers? <laughs> well, Vernon's a good guy, and I, I know his kid Blake is going to be up in the Edmonton area playing for the Oil Kings sooner rather than later. So well, maybe there's a hockey advisory role somewhere in there at some point. <clears throat> Ryan, not in the dozer, says... Uh, in response to John Shannon talking about uh, who has season tickets here in Edmonton, he says it's actually not the case anymore. It's all corporate now. Very rarely do you see fans with season tickets, and the numbers do seem to drop. Uh, this text is not for this show. <laughs> My goodness. All right. Well, uh, we'll get to much more of uh, your opinion. We're talking junior hockey. We're talking NHL hockey. Four straight seasons your Oilers have qualified for the playoffs. What's been the most memorable part of this year's run? Anything you want to talk about on the way? 780-496-0063 coming up after a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn.